Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend message with you from Pastor Joel Schmidgall, our executive pastor at NCC. If you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or go to theaterchurch.com. Well, it was a bit of a rough year. I was within 10 months that three of my immediate family members had been diagnosed with cancer. And our whole family was faced with questions of life and death and and the importance of finding out more information about toxins and the effect that they have on our body. And here's the deal, cancer is no joke, right? And I wonder, you know, I wonder if we could just today get the mass effect, a sense, a perspective of the effect that this has had on our culture as a whole. And I wonder if, if you or if somebody in your family has or is fighting cancer at all of our locations, I wonder if we could just slip up a hand. Let's just, crazy, right? It's crazy as we look around. And God, give us strength, Lord. And, and I just pray, I rebuke cancer right now. I rebuke it and ask for your healing, Lord. I ask for your restoration, that you would amplify immunities and white blood cells, Lord, and bring your strength. Amen. And, and I just want to do, I want to speak encouragement to you that is within a family today. Just, just receive strength today, wisdom and grace. You are a minister to your family. Just receive that today. I think uh, a lot of us have a base level understanding of what toxins can do to the body. Our culture is growing in understanding as we begin to understand the, the toxins that, we've got to be careful about the toxins that are in our food that we ingest. We've got to be careful about the toxins in our cleaning supplies and, and those in product that we put on our bodies. But today, I don't, want, I don't want to talk about the toxins and how they affect our body. I want to talk about the toxins of the soul, the toxins of the spirit. Toxin or toxic, by definition, is anything containing poisonous material capable of causing sickness or decay. Detox is a process or period of time in which one abstains from or rids oneself of toxic or unhealthy matter or matters. In 2017 and part of 2018, it was probably the, the unhealthiest stretch of my life. And for a seventh-month period... I was just constantly sick, and probably 75 to 80% of that time period, I was sick, and I had, I had these constant recurring fevers that would come, and, and I had uh, sore throats, and I couldn't sleep at night. I would sleep for just a few hours because I was hacking so much, and, and uh, it was just crazy, and I tried different things. I tried medicine, tried vitamins and echinacea and home remedies, and I finally tried an elimination diet. And uh, the idea is this. The concept is that you eliminate the majority of what you're eating and then slowly over time you begin to add foods back in to see uh, if you can test and, and quantify what foods might have an effect on your body. And so I did it and I actually found out. I found out that certain foods negatively affect my body and they break down my immunities. And they clog up my system and they have this effect on my body. And what I didn't realize was that, that what I was ingesting, what I was consciously choosing to put in me were the exact things that were breaking down my body. In 
2 Samuel, we find King David. He's at the height of his reign, and life is great for him. And things are going well, and he's, he's the leader of this growing and thriving nation. And, uh, and then he gets lazy, and he makes a huge mistake. And we find him in, in the scriptures, and we see that, that he was supposed to be off at war. Uh, the nation goes to war, but he becomes complacent. He becomes lazy, and he, so he stays at home, and he makes a bad decision. And while he's at home, then he would go up on his roof and he would look out over the city. And when he looks out one day and he sees this woman who is naked on a rooftop. Her name is Bathsheba. And so he calls for her to come to his house, another bad decision. And he ends up sleeping with her. And then from there, he decides to try to cover it up, another bad decision. And he covers that, but it doesn't work. The cover-up doesn't work. And so then he makes another bad decision. And he calls the commander of the army and he, and he tells him to put her husband, this guy Uriah, at the front lines, which means he's going to die. And, but then he, he thinks that it won't be his fault or people won't think that. And so that happens and then she comes and he takes her as his wife. And it's just this horrible series of circumstances that results in a terrible outcome. And we see this and we look at at David, at King David and his terrible decisions. And, and it's a toxic buildup. The toxic destruction builds with every selfish decision that he makes. And, um, and we see David taking these. And, and things go on as normal until the prophet Nathan shows up at his house. And they sit down together. And let me just summarize it. And they're sitting together. And he decides to tell them a story Nathan does. And so he says, there's two men in a town. And one of them is poor, one of them is rich. This poor man, he didn't have much, but he's got one little lamb, and he loves that lamb. That's his lamb. He treats that lamb with love and, and care, and it's like his little child almost. And he, and he says, I don't have much, but at least I have my little sheep. And then there's a rich man in town as well, and this rich man has, he's got a whole flock of sheep, and he's rich, and, and he doesn't really care for the sheep, but they're his riches, and so he's glad that he has them. And so a guest shows up in this town, and Middle Eastern hospitality requires him to feed this guest. And so he goes out into his flock, and he passes his flock, and he goes and he gets that one little lamb, and he butchers that lamb and feeds this man. Takes the one lamb that the poor man had. And as he's telling the story, King David, he's getting fired up. He's getting angry and, and he's boiling up. This righteous indignation is, is boiling up kind of in his soul. And he says in, in verse 5 of chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, he says, As sure as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. And Nathan says, that man is you. And David had been so engrossed in his sin. So engrossed in his decisions, in his normality, this slow building of bad decisions on bad decision, that he was blind to the cancer that was eating away at his heart, to the cancer that was eating away at his kingdom. What are the toxins or the infections that we have allowed to build up in our soul? And we hear this passage and we say, well, that's huge. And, and maybe you relate with it, or maybe you don't. But we see that that's huge. But you know what? It was a series of missteps. It was a series of decisions that he made of small missteps that led to that point. I wonder what it is for you. Maybe it's a mindset. Maybe it's a thought pattern. And you have this, 
these cognitive distortions in your mind, things where you categorize yourself or categorize somebody else and those things are untrue. Or maybe it's what we feed our mind and we put certain things in our mind and, and we just, we're consuming media, certain media constantly or, or we watch pornography or we consume certain narratives and, and stories and, and we receive all these things that are building up and, 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 and we take on cultural values that we assume and, and they can actually all be toxic. It's this whole environment of toxins that we're ingesting and it affects who we are and what we think. Or maybe it's our actions, the belief or the idea that we have of self, but our beliefs or our actions don't line up with actually what we think. And so we say, I'm a good person. I don't know, but what if we look on paper, right? What if we actually look at our actions and we see certain things and I'm a good person. Well, but when you look for the proof, the proof's not quite there because we cut corners in our business. Or we look at our budget and, and there's no proof of generosity towards other people in our budget. Or the way we talk to people, the way that we treat people, or we yell at our spouse, or we do, we do these certain things. We, we don't care for any, we don't give our time out, out to people outside of our circle. Or maybe it's our words. We don't realize the words that were spoken to us, the effect that they have, or the words that we speak into other people, the effect that that has on others. Or it could be how you take care of yourself or unforgiveness or jealousy towards someone else. But we have allowed toxicity within our mind, our body, our spirit, knowingly or unknowingly, that is crushing our soul. I want to look at Psalm chapter 51 today. And... It's the prayer of a broken man. It's a prayer of a man who is desperate to find healing in God. It's the prayer of David. Right after he had found himself in this revelation of his sin and of his missteps. And it's a prayer of detox. That's what Psalm 51 is. A prayer of detox. So can we just take a walk today? Let's walk through this passage. It's 12 verses, the beginning of this passage. I'm just going to walk and I'm going to read a verse and then I'll talk through it. And maybe the Lord has something to say and enlighten our hearts today. Psalm chapter 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. David gives direct confession to God. There's no excuse in this confession. Now, before you try to change, before you try to make everything right, you know what a good practice is? You come to God and you confess. And you seek forgiveness from the Almighty. David calls out to God and he calls for his, his unfailing love, his hesed. And he calls for this, it's a, it's a loyal love, it's a compassionate, it's a covenantal mercy. He calls out to God for this chesed. God, give me your, that, that never fails, I call to you. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions, he says. This can refer to David's own conscience. Like, God, blot this out because I'm carrying this. It's a massive weight. Blot that out. Or it can refer to God's accounting of his sin. Or it could be both. But David is asking for redemption, for the redeeming power of the Almighty to come and free him from his mistakes, to cross out the black lines of sin, with the red lines of Christ's blood and forgiveness. Verse 2, wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
commentator McLaren says, the word employed is significant and that probably means washing by kneading or beating, not by simply rinsing. A cleansing, a kneading, a, a purifying, a cutting, that, that can hurt, can it? That can be painful in somebody's life. If, if you detox from drugs, it's not just a separation mentally from drugs. It's not, okay, I've got to decide to the best I can not to do that. No, there's a physical separation as well because your body craves, is dependent upon those things. So there's pain that comes in detox. If you've ever done Whole30. Ugh, right? Melissa Hartwig, she, she talks about this idea that she says a week or two weeks in, you're probably going to get sick. You're probably going to get a fever or some sort of, of setback and you'll be discouraged because your body is using all of its energy to rid the body of toxins, but it's also going through withdrawal of the dependence upon those toxins. Cleaning can be painful. It's a ringing out of us. And it seems sometimes when we go through this, this pathway, this pattern, it seems like we're actually in a worse place than we were when we were in those dependencies, doesn't it? But we've got to understand this concept that, that, that to get full healing, to get full restoration, become, to become a new creation, sometimes you have to go through things that actually make it worse before it gets better. David understands the toxicity of his heart and his actions. In fact, he uses several different words to describe this to God. He says transgressions, iniquities, sins. Transgressions are crossing those boundary lines that you shouldn't cross. Iniquities are those perversions or the, the, the distortions that we allow in us. And sins are missing the mark. They're falling short of God. What pollution or toxic thinking have you allowed in your mind? Have you allowed in your life? And what do you need to cut back today? Is it sin? Is it bad habits? Is it unforgiveness? Negative words? Attitude? The Nielsen Report studies media use and trends of the average American. Can I just give you some stats that are going to encourage you today? Can I do that? Okay, so the average person, the average American, spends seven years, eight months of their life watching TV. All right, so you feel encouraged yet? Okay, the average person spends five years, four months on social media. Now, personally, I just think maybe the DC trend would be opposite, don't you? Like you just walk around and, and everyone's on their phone, and I do it, right? And we're, on, we're walking around, we're on our phones wherever we, it's like eight months of the year we spend just looking on our phone, doesn't it? And you walk around and we've got this, we can go miles just looking and our peripheral vision has to be amazing, doesn't it? Because we can walk any different direction, but we see things and we're texting and we're talking and we're, we're pointing at people in the, in the cafe and that see us and we do all these things, but we... We lock in and listen to this. Uh, we spend three years, five months of our lives eating and drinking. So we spend more time on social media. We spend twice the amount of time watching TV than we do filling our lives, our bodies with energy and things that will actually give us life. And we have blinders on, don't we, in certain areas of our life? We have blinders to the things, to the toxins, 
to the vices, to the bad habits. There was a word association practice done with a number of students on the phrase self-control. And it was interesting because almost all the words uh, in the word association were negative. Words like regulate and restriction, limit, diet, constraint, deprivation. And um, it's interesting because I think the enemy does this to us. He, it's amazing how the enemy can take something like self-control and he can just turn it into a bad thing. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, for any happiness, restraint is necessary. Verse three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. The emphasis is on I know. I know my transgressions. He was fully aware of his responsibility. David didn't say, and my punishment is always before me. He didn't say, and my consequence is always before me. No, he says, my sin is always before me. What bothered him was his sin. Many grieve over the consequences of their sin. Few over the sin itself. He can step back and acknowledge the deep hurt that he has caused God and caused himself and caused others. Verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now, objectively, David actually has sinned against others, right? He sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, their family, his family, himself, his own body. He sinned against his kingdom. But, but I think as, as David s- says this, it's an acknowledgement that sin against a fellow human, a fellow man or woman, that that sin is equal to sinning against God. And you can see it in the New Testament, right? Jesus talks about this. He says, whatever you do to the least of me of these, you have done unto me. And so he's acknowledging that this sin was so gross against him that it's a sin against God. And he's repenting before the Lord. Verse five, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. It's passages like this that we get the concept of original sin. This idea that we are born, uh, we are made in the image of God. And we have this this beautiful uh, character that the Lord gives to us. And and we're made in his image with, with a good heart. Yet we have a sinful nature, don't we? And this thing that, and these two things for our whole life that battle against one another. Now, this verse initially rubs me the wrong way because is David somehow excusing his actions as where he's from or what he didn't have growing or what he did have growing up? Or is he excusing that, no, it's just the nature. It's not really my fault. I don't think that's the case here, though. I actually think it's quite the opposite. He's saying, you know what? This wasn't just a mistake. This wasn't just an action. I'm going to be honest, God, as I deep reflect, as I deep dive into my own soul, no, this is, this is my prideful nature, God. Forgive me of my prideful nature to the very core of who I am. I need you and I need your strength to overcome and to change. It's the same battle that every single one of us has, maybe on different levels. Romans 7, why is it, Paul says, that the things I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. Paul is talking about the fleshly nature, selfishness, 
against the spiritual nature, selflessness, and how they battle and come against one another. A.W. Tozer wrote a piece called The Hunger of the Wilderness. I love this. If you have a, a few minutes this weekend, go and just look this, Google this on your own. It's called The, uh, the, Call, or the Hunger of the Wilderness. And it's kind of a long quote, but stick with me. They're powerful words. Here's what he says. Every farmer knows the hunger of the wilderness. That hunger which no modern farm machinery, no improved agricultural methods can quite destroy. If the owner neglects his prized and valued acres, they will revert again to the wild and be swallowed by the jungle or wasteland. The bias of nature is towards the wilderness, never towards the fruitful field. Now, if you've ever planted a garden, you know this, don't you? That you don't have to work on the weeds, do you? No, nature takes care of that by itself. We understand this concept. He goes on. What is true of the field is also true of the soul if we are but wise enough to see it. The moral bent of the fallen world is not towards godliness, but definitely away from it. He goes on to say that the jungle will creep in and seek to swallow up the tiny areas that, you, that have been made free by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only watchfulness and constant prayer can preserve those moral gains won for us through the operations of God's grace. I want to tell you something today. We have been given the Holy Spirit in our spirit to help us overcome the enemy. The enemy will not give up. There is a battle, like it or not. There are multiple battles happening. There are battles of the heavenly realms of the Spirit of God battling against the enemy coming against our soul. There is battle, there's a battle of the flesh nature within us and the godly nature within us. And there's this constant battle. The Holy Spirit was a gift. When we believe in Jesus Christ, he grants us his spirit that fills us and gives us strength. And the spirit is above the flesh. That's good news right there, y'all. Sometimes I want to get a tattoo where spirit is above the flesh, actually. Just to remind myself, listen, the spirit is above the flesh. I did not run that by Nina. I'm not actually going to do that, Nina, okay? 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, it says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have the power, the Greek word dunamis, which which we get dynamite from. They have the explosive power to demolish strongholds, the word akamora, which means prisoner locked by deception. So through God, through the Holy Spirit, we have power to overcome sin to overcome that fleshly nature. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to demolish deception from the enemy within our soul. We have the power to demolish distortions that are happening all around us. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. You can just just throw out an amen right there if you don't mind. Come on, amen. We have been granted the Spirit of God And he makes us new and he gives us strength for the daily battles. Now, we talked about this last week, but processed foods can break down our body, our mind, and our focus. Remember this part where Pastor Mark talked about the blue tongue coming out of the movie and that whole thing? Remember that? And uh, I was thinking about that this week. Processed food is when you take out the active agents within it. Those active agents are what bring mold and decomposition and it's what, it, what kind of kills that food, right? And that's what we pull out. And so we're left 
with the things that we like. We like the sweet and we like the sugar and the carb and, and we have that, but we pull out those things that, we, that don't maybe taste good, but you know what? They're really good for our body, aren't they? That's why uh, fruit tends to mold. It tends to go bad. It tends to decompose. That's why vegetables tend to go, to go bad and tends to, tends to decompose. Now, those yogurt cookies in the pantry that I really love. I could leave here today for five years, come back, and they would still be there the exact same, wouldn't they? I mean, they're the same yesterday, today, and forever, those yogurt cookies are. But they're not good for my body. Natural foods, they mold, they decompose, they, they actually die. But now here's what I've been thinking about, though, okay? Here's what kind of I've been wrestling with, that, that some of us have processed theology. And, and here's what happens. You know, we, what we do is we take out the active agent of our theology, the Holy Spirit. And you know you have processed theology if your theology stands up without the Holy Spirit in it. Am I hurting a little bit here today? Can we apply this to our life? And so what happens? We take the danger out. We take the faith out. We take the sacrifice out. And we take the boldness of sharing our faith and the boldness of crossing lines and crossing bridges. We take all that stuff out and what are we left with? We're left with the stuff we like and it's sweet, isn't it? And it tastes good in the moment. And, and you know what we do? We put that in our pantry and anytime we need it, we can go and we can get it. Why? Because it's dead and it has nothing in it. It's all the active agent has been pulled out of, it, out of that. And we think we're okay, but no, that's not true theology. That's not the living God, the living word at work within our souls. No, when we step into the Holy Spirit, he, forces, he pushes us. He calls us towards submission and worship. And when we do that, we have to be active today. We, we take his spirit and we have to be obedient unto his word in our hearts to consume his word, to consume his calling, to consume his obedience. James says faith without deed is what? It's dead. Our process theology reads 1 Corinthians 6, 9, says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And how do we process that? We process it by saying, yeah, I need to work out because I, I want to look good. And I want to project a certain image, right? Come on, let's be real here today. That's me. You know, I want to look a certain way. And we process it that way when in reality, the scripture is talking about sexual immorality and having restraint and living within this certain bounds. And, and, and the scripture is talking about having respect for your body and having respect for yourself. But we don't want to hear that, do we? We don't like that. I just want my yogurt cookies. Come on, let's be honest. Anybody else with me on that? I see like no hands on that one. Like those things are nasty. My kids eat those things. We don't want to hear that though. Ripe theology forces us to live actively with and for God. Verse seven, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Now hyssop was used to, uh, to apply the blood over the doorpost during the Passover. That's where we get hyssop. It's also used uh, by the priest in, in sprinkling and purifying water. And we see the word cleanse or purge and it's base out of the word for sin. So it's literally saying, de me, God. Please pull this out of me. 
Verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He's seeking redemption because he feels crushed. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word that begins this section is the word, it's a Hebrew word, bara. And it's the very first word that means create. And it's used in Genesis chapter 1 when God creates the heavens and he creates the earth. And he uses the same word in this passage right here. It's a word that describes what only God can do. That only God can create something out of nothing. Ex nihilo. And then he says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. A steadfast spirit is needed to, when something is cleansed, to keep that thing cleansed. Right? There's a newness that happens. There's a cleaning, a renewing that happens. But you have to have a steadfast spirit to continue that on. David's acknowledging it's not just a single action that I want to be made right on. No, I need you, God, so I don't end up in this place again. Give me a steadfast spirit, a persistence, a consistency, a, a commitment, a resolve. Pastor Tim Delina, he tells the story of one of the great PGA golfers. On a, and he's on a practice tee before his tournament. And he's out hitting balls. And he hears a fan behind him. And the fan says, man, I wish I could hit a ball like that. And for some reason, this guy decides to turn around. And he, and he acknowledges him. And he says, no, you don't. You don't, you don't wish this. And, and Here's what he says. He says, you know what? If I hit a bad ball, if I hit a hook or a slice, he says, you know what I do? I got to go hit a thousand shots to make that better. I'm going to hit a thousand shots until my hand is bleeding. And then I'll wrap it up and I'll hit a thousand more shots until I make that right. You don't want to do this. And he said this. He said these words. He says, you want the result, but you don't want the discipline. You want to do, do what I do, but you don't want to do the work. A steadfast spirit is to do the work. It's to remain committed. It's to resolve and live uh, consistently. Verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Marie Kondo is an organizational guru and she's a tithing consultant. And uh, she helps people that are drowning in a prison of their own making. And with so much stuff and so much clutter that they don't know what to do. And so they need to call her in to help them escape this. Come on, I know there's some Marie Kondo people out there. Come on, where are you? Where is the people, right? And you, and you just say that name and you feel more organized, don't you? <laughs> And she's, this, she's this, sens- this Netflix sensation. And uh, she teaches people how to decide what must go or what is unnecessary. And it's interesting. She has this philosophy. And here's the practice. At, at the base level, the foundational level of what she teaches is this. That, that you should take every item and confront essentially every item in your house. And you ask a question. Does this item spark joy in me? You ask that simple question. And then uh, as you hold an item, you ask this question. If it doesn't do that, then it doesn't serve your purpose. And you say goodbye to that item. 
And this, there's a whole sense built on just this concept that an item needs to elicit joy within you. Otherwise, it doesn't fit in your life. It's an act of generosity towards self. And she's made millions on this concept of just helping people detox their stuff. I wonder if you'll take a few minutes this weekend to reflect. Reflect on what brings you true, deep, long-lasting joy. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about short-term happiness or gratification. Because if we, if we go down that route, we'll answer questions very different, right? Like growing up, my parents made me go to church. I didn't want to go to church. I wanted to watch the pregame to the Bears game, get ready for the NFL game. But they, they made me go to church. It was the, if I was deciding that for short-term happiness, I would have made a different decision. But you know what I realized over a long span of time? I thank God for my parents' decision because it built up character and principles, and it taught me how to live life and how to be respectful towards others, respectful towards God, and live life in a gracious and a loving and a faith-filled way. And I thank God that they made decisions for long-term joy as you take account of your life. How are you making decisions of things and categories that you have been given for long-term joy? Consider one of these action points this week. Seek out a Nathan in your life. A friend to speak truth or a life coach or a counselor. Spend an hour in inventory of, of your categories in prayer. Spend a day fasting for revelation. And as we take a few moments this weekend just to look inward and consider today what we need to detox, what we need to cut. Start with coming before God and seeking him and forgiveness and seeking his revelation. And we'll end with this, to seek him First is where we start. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.